before today's episode of Beerbarians begins, I would like to make a warning about the quality of today's episode. There were multiple technical issues while recording this episode, and many of which were not present until the post-production process. Despite these issues, I hope you can still enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Beerbarians. I am Andrew Hogland, and with me I have my guests... Kyle Cephala. Raymond Gonzalez. Alright gentlemen, uh, so as I start with our last two episodes, uh, what are you drinking today? Well, I'm about to pour myself a Nitro Merlin Milk Stout. And uh, I've got a crossover brew uh, between Sudwork Brewing and Lead Dog Brewing called Ginger All The Way Imperial Porter. And uh, it straight up has that little gingerbread man from Shrek in it. (laughs) And I wonder if that's okay or not. (laughs) Well, hopefully this little thing we're doing isn't the thing that gets them in trouble. And uh, today I have... Cheers. Cheers. And today I have a Ace Pineapple Craft Cider. It's a big bottle. It, it is a big bottle. Hold on, let me see He's what a big the boy. since nineteen oh since nineteen ninety three, the year I was born, is when they started making this stuff. I'm bad at I'm bad at reading. I don't know where the uh, ounce size is. It's a twenty two. Is it twenty two? It's a twenty two. Yeah, it says twenty two fluid ounce right there. Six hundred fifty milliliter. All right, cool. Do we need to draw you a map for next time? Uh, guys, please. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so today's episode, uh, we sort of started talking about sci-fi in, our, in a previous episode, and I wanted to run, run it back to that. Uh, so specifically, one idea I had was uh, Kyle was getting, a very, was, was getting very invested in a conversation regarding uh, hard sci-fi and in relation to uh, base sci-fi and science fantasy. And, and although we only kind of touched on science fantasy last time, I, I'd be interested in continuing that discussion. So, you were saying that in, a, in, in the previous one that a hard sci-fi talks about issues that would normally be glossed over in pedantic detail? Uh, that's, that's the hallmark of the hardest of hard sci-fi. It covers pedantic detail of issues that would normally be glossed over. It explains the entire universe and isn't afraid of opening up its kimono, so to speak, to show you, hey, this is how our universe works. Whereas sci-fantasy will use a buzzword to explain everything that doesn't make sense from a physics standpoint. So you suspend disbelief. Like the Force or something like that. The Force would be the example that anyone could relate with, yes. Okay, okay. So you talked about uh, the the, the Fringe last time? Uh, I believe it was The Expanse The Expanse, sorry, yeah. I haven't watched it yet, but it's like uh, on my top three for my to-watch list right now. All right, I can dig it. Uh, would you have any other examples of, uh, of quote-unquote hard sci-fi? Well, the one that everyone knows is Star Trek. Now, if you want to get into stuff that's not, uh, that's not live action, um, a good example of hard sci-fi would be like Cowboy Bebop. Uh, that's an anime that some people would be familiar, or that many people would be familiar with. There's 
almost no form of magic or or telekinetics. I mean, I think they cover it in like one or two episodes, right? Yeah. And then you get into you could get into some cartoons, maybe even like, hey, if you're talking about RPGs and what's inspiring you, I mean, there's everything from like comic books to like Western cartoons. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but if you give me like five minutes and I could probably name a dozen or so. Like we could probably spend the entirety of this podcast talking about that. All right. Uh, so, so running it back a bit, you would consider any sci-fi that maintains like a internal a sense of internal logic that the audience can follow yes. as okay okay it needs to the biggest thing with with hard sci-fi is if they explain something the way something works it remains internally consistent that's the way it always works okay okay um so before the recording we briefly touched on uh whether or not the Mass Effect series of games qualifies as hard sci-fi. Uh, would you care to uh, explain your stance on that? It's it's slightly softer than, say, Star Trek or uh, or The Expanse, but it is definitely hard sci-fi. Yeah. Even the stuff that would be considered, you know, magic, to, to use air quotes here... Has an internal explanation. Has an internal explanation. Most of which revolves around element zero. Yeah, which... Or Ezo. Yeah, which they also have other consistent explanations throughout the series. So, um, I'm not entirely familiar with the Mass Effect. Is element zero just like their MacGuffin to explain faster than light travel and also... So, element zero is what it sounds like. It's element zero. It's as if you had... A element lower a, than hydrogen. Lower than hydrogen. It has no proton, uh, and it's it's described mineable, as, right? Like it's the, described as radioactive, uh, or not not necessarily radioactive. That's not the right word for it. it, it hazardous in the same way yeah. radioactive materials are hazardous. It um, affects people. Like you have like kids exposed to ezo, they become uh, biotics. Right, effectively mages in that game. Yeah, it's effectively Jedi almost. <laughs> but right. they explain in excruciating detail. Like all this, you could you could get all this information out of the first game. Yeah, it, they have like a phrase where there's Ezo, there's economy, right? You know, because it's so necessary. Oh, it, yeah, we fuel our our starships with this stuff, right? I mean, just think about that. Oh no, no, I live in. An area that has too much starship exhaust. Now my child has telekinetic powers. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, if you look into... Where's the EPA? <laughs> if you look into the Mass Effect lore, all the weapons, they describe in excruciating detail how they work. They say, okay, these, these weapons are, are fueled by like shaving off a small piece of aluminum that it uses to, to fire it. it has its own internal battery pack. They they change throughout the throughout the franchise the the restrictions on the weapons for gameplay mechanics purposes. But for the most part all the physics and everything in that game franchise stays internally consistent. They even go into explain how the armor in the games work and like what the armor is capable of. Hmm. All right. Uh so 
one thing that I think would be an interesting discussion point is if we were to establish a gradient. On one side is hard sci-fi, and on the other side, clear science fantasy, like a so science fantasy being your Star Wars, your Star Wars. Warhammer, your mm-hmm. your uh, like a lot of the uh, things in this setting can be like hand waved as witchcraft. Or yeah, your like dead that. space. Well, actually, dead space is not so much science fantasy. That's kind of in the like, middle. So I think your furthest Wood. for like like common consumption on the science fantasy scale is absolutely going to end up being like Warhammer forty thousand, uh, just because it. So much is just explained by, oh yeah, it's literal witchcraft. Two, oh this is post the dark age of humanity, right? Or you know the dark age in space, right? Where it it was the golden age of humanity. They knew so much, but now we are living in the society after that. And we have no idea how any of it works, right? Where they just build up religion around it. And, you know, old manuals, you know, written in hexadecimal script are, are, are deeply coveted secrets. And, you know, the lay people who are working on the equipment and, make, you know, and, and doing the maintenance are never allowed to see this, those schematics or see, like, whatever pieces of information actually still exist they just have to maintain it and you know burn incense and rub it with oils and you know everything else like oh so much of what they have technology wise is just oh yeah we have um some machine that can 3d print it we don't know how it works uh it just does the thing pray to it pray to it now (laughs) And, and that's without discussing the fact that magic is a real thing in this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sorry. It, that is not even getting to the fact that magic literally exists. So one thing to cover when you talk about Warhammer is what what keeps it soft and what keeps it in the... And I shouldn't... Using the term soft is not a good describer of Warhammer if you ever if you ever look into Warhammer lore at all. <laughs> but what one thing that keeps it firmly in the realm of fantasy is something that games workshop people will scream at the top of their lungs if you call them on on an error uh, uh, chronologically or something that's that doesn't intern or that isn't internally consistent. They call it unreliable narrator. Yeah, that you that everything is true but until it isn't yeah until it isn't right that everyone who's telling a story in 40k is to be considered a unreliable narrator and uh it means that everything is canon but not necessarily is everything a, a fact like, like a fact and it, and for the most part that's one of the biggest draws to 40k is that unreliable narrator that means when you go into 40k and you read something and it's inconsistent with something else it doesn't need to be consistent with something else because of unreliable narrator Mm -hmm. you the whoever read that talking with someone else someone else may may say oh no this this is the thing and then you who read that says oh no that disagrees with this 
and you guys both may really like your own internal explanation, and they may both be right. But that's that makes it definitely not hard right. sci-fi. I, so another another thing that can kind of differentiate between different sorts of settings in that way is if we go back to Mass Effect, right? Mm-hmm. There's the Mass Effect relays. They're all around the galaxy. You know, they point in certain directions. You ships only go in the way that they're pointed, right? And you compare that to 40k where instead you have a machine that is somewhere deep in the bowels of your ship's engineerium where there is a dude or or a woman or, or whatever right a human being like in some sarcophagus you know kept alive for maybe hundreds of years who knows that their entire purpose is to dream a bubble of reality around your ship while you use some other arcane technology to rip open a literal portal into hell and then propel the ship through hell itself, the warp, right? And hoping that that person is able to hallucinate reality long enough that you come out roughly where you were hoping to go and roughly in the time period that you expected to get there right you know they have these star charts and like these names for regions as if they're almost like rivers and you know whatever Uh, but you pop into the warp at the mandible point and it might take six months side reel like you know in universe time for you to get to where it is that you needed to go uh but for you it actually took seven years right or or longer right sometimes less or more or people show up in the past uh there's a funny story where an orc you know uh the entire wah just goes into the warp they come back out they're in the past they realize they realize this somehow and their leader goes and seeks themselves out so that he can fight himself and get another copy of his favorite gun. <laughs> you know, that's kind of the difference in like what's fantasy and what's hard sci-fi is in a hard sci-fi universe, you're probably not going to have someone legitimately write a story where, yeah, hey, I, yeah, they're going to go back in time and completely stall themselves out by fighting each other uh, because the leader wants to get, you know, a second copy of his favorite pocket watch or whatever and, it is. And in, you know, in a uh, in sci-fantasy, you're not going to have a writer concerned with, you know, the the conservation of momentum or or uh, E equals MC squared as a consequence of shooting a railgun into off into space with the power of a Hiroshima bomb, which is why uh, Sir Isaac Newton, Newton is, is the, the deadliest, deadliest son of a bitch in, in space. space. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but this reminds me of uh, there was this. I don't know if it's like a story or a concept or something, but like if but. 
I think he was either like building a world or it's from his campaign. But there is this idea they had, like this, like it seems a bit too stupid for Warhammer, but I Mm -hmm. can't be certain. The idea is these guys, this like space empire, build a gun to the side of a planet, yeah, and then use the planet's core as the ammunition for the gun. So they just suck up the core, shoot it, becomes Star Killer base. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and it becomes like a three-part attack on whatever they're shooting at. So, first, the core hits wherever it's going. And so, oh no, it's a giant molten rock hits your planet. And it's the size of the center of a different planet. (laughs) And if that's not enough, the chunks of the crust and mantle of the previous planet pepper what's left of the planet and just cause however much destruction it will. But then, like, he brought up... Oh, yeah, and the third attack is the billions of souls of the people living on that planet who go forth to haunt that planet. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of reminds me of, like, an old Heinlein novel. right? Or at least I think it was Heinlein, right? But basically, like, there's slug people invading Earth and how how they... blow up Brazil and everything is that they, they're hanging out on Jupiter's moons and then they're just throwing uh, asteroids oh. from uh, from the belt what, what, like okay. at Earth. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of other sci-fi that that's, uh, that's not classically sci-fi one of my favorite uh, episodes of uh, Justice League of all things strongly features a, a, a space station that's been put into orbit recently uh, with some modifications done to it that will pull asteroids out of the asteroid belt and it becomes effectively an asteroid railgun that just drops meteors on onto Earth. And, you know, Vandal Savage is the one who's in control of this thing. And he just, he just kind of, you know, sits there and says, you're just going to give me control of Earth. Otherwise, I'm just going to destroy one planet on the hour every hour until you do or one uh one city sorry not one planet that'd be a little ridiculous yeah even for superhero stuff <laughs> well it depends on the scale <laughs> so I, th- I think that kind of establishes roughly the spectrums and like the sort of stuff that can land on them uh when it comes to games right the types of games that uh cover you know, science, fantasy, and or or sci-fi would be stuff like Traveler, which is pretty hard sci-fi. And then you also have, you know, stuff closer to the middle, which is like, uh, it, this one's not a standalone, but you have like Star Wars: Edge of the Empire, which is a little bit closer to sci-fantasy, but honestly, it's more, it's harder sci-fi than. The Star Wars source material of the movies because they go into depth and explain how the ships work and stuff. Well, yeah, I I believe I I made that point on a previous episode. Is Star Wars the more and the more and more you get into the expanded universe, the more it slides into sci-fi compared to sci-fantasy. Yeah, and then you have more stuff that's straight up sci-fantasy, like Starfinder. Yeah, which is just D and D on a spaceship. <laughs> If you want to talk about real D&D on a spaceship, forget Starfinder. You got to go and you got to get yourself an old copy of Spelljammer. Ooh, I've heard Spelljammer. I don't have a good grasp on the setting. 
So, okay. All I know is that, like, a wizard puts on a helmet and they can fly a spaceship. It, exactly. So, either you have to be magically capable, like a wizard, or you have to be a psionic class, usually, and they'll be, like, a, a helmet. It's kind of like a 40k MIU, like a mind impulse unit. And they use that to to fly the spacecraft around. Um, in terms of, like, the setting, if you're familiar with illithids... This is just like mind flayers, a uh, weird squid-headed, brain-eating monsters. Small Cthulhu's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Human-sized so, Cthulhu's. So in this, it goes, oh yeah, uh, illithids are alien creatures. They're they're space aliens, right? And you're on classic fantasy planet, and now classic fantasy planet either. Uh, you has developed enough to have a spaceship or more likely you got control of some kind of crashed spaceship and now your DM has you flying off into the stars. You know, uh, it's... Hey. It really... What? Roll use magic device. Yeah! <laughs> oh, you failed. Your life support goes out. Yeah. <laughs> I, dude, I love Spelljammer as a concept. It's uh, the good. Yeah, it, it's it's a really hot concept. Uh, another like, if we're talking D and D or you know traditional RPG setting, right? I mean, ugh, it's gonna be D and D in this case. I mean, you could bolt on Pathfinder rules, I guess, if you wanted to. But uh, Eberron. Yeah, Eberron's a. We were talking about that earlier. Eberron is a good example of sci-fantasy. It's not super science, but dang it, it is definitely sci-fantasy. All right. Yeah, so, Uh, I mean, airships, there's... uh, there's steamworks under the yeah, yeah. There's a steamwork system under the city that or under one of the main cities, and that steamwork system is all magically controlled. There are these like clockwork automatons that are controlled not really via magic, but you you don't really know what controls them. Uh, there's the warforged. Yeah, you know warforged are straight out of Eberron. Mm-hmm. So. While we're on the topic of Eberron, like, it's a very, like, I think, I don't know if it's a genre or if it's just a term to describe something, but, like, it's very Magitech, right? Yeah, Magitech. But, like, there's a lot of elements that would make it confused for, say, steampunk. And to move on to to the next subject, we we didn't really, like, talk on where it fits on the gradient, but... Where do you think cyber, like, a general cyberpunk setting would fit on, like... The scale. I feel like it would be more closer to hard sci-fi, but would I be mistaken in that? I'd I'd say most cyberpunk would would fall on hard sci-fi until you start getting into like Shadowrun. Until you start getting into the standpoint of like, oh, I put these implants in my body. Well, what do the implants do? They give me magic powers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Here, here's my OC. She's a clumsy girl. Except for in all combat situations, <laughs> I have all these cybernetic enhancements that let me block bullets and and backflip. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, by the way, I'm a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I'm not going to get into it today. Vampires are undead. They they can't they can't use cybernetic enhancement. I, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> uh, so we're not going to get into it today, but just like the concept of vampire robots that like I recently came across something that just like I I, I saw it. There's very little about it, but just Isn't some... that just Helsing Ultimate? Yeah, I've come to <laughs> suck your blood. <laughs> no, it's like oh, uh, dude. <laughs> sorry, so I was gonna be like, "Where's Helsing Ultimate on the scale?" Yeah, it's, sorry. <laughs> it's fantasy. Yeah, it's fantasy. <laughs> Straight up fantasy. I, well, I mean, there's there's guns. It's like I yeah, mean, it's, it's otherwise the modern world. Yeah, but I mean, like but a, a, it, it falls on the fantasy side. Hellboy is is the modern world, but that is definitely fantasy. Even though there's all these like these like extra dimensional robots, yeah, yeah, and you're just like, what the heck is this thing? I don't know. Dark Elves made it. Yeah, yeah okay, yeah. cool. Shadowrun decides that the Mayan calendar is cool, and in 2012 the world doesn't end, but instead magic starts creeping back, and people start giving birth to dwarves and then randomly people start turning into goblins and orcs and stuff and a fucking dragon erupts out of Mount Fuji and then takes over a business because that's how hordes work in the modern day. Oh, I can't live on a on a pile of gold. I'm instead going to own classic cars and businesses. You ever you ever <laughs> notice that uh that Fallout is hard hard uh sci-fi? You ever think about that? I was thinking about this er- earlier when we were Fallout talking about the gradient scale. Fallout is so hard sci-fi. It has psionics. It, there's the... it doesn't have that much psionics, man. Like, there are some, but... So, they explain how Jet works. and like, Oh, it's... A, it's uh, Brahmins it's cow who, poo. It's Brahmins who eat a specific thing and their manure gives a high or No, they've been, they were genetically engineered pre-war. And then the exposure to the radiation tweaked that genetic engineering... And then their poo, after, like, fermenting their poo, Jet comes off of it. All right, all right. So that's the explanation for Jet. Explain a stim pack. It's just pre-war medical technology. So in this instance, I would say that, like, it's not as hard sci-fi as you might say. Because a lot of things can be hand-waved as pre-war technology. Oh, yeah, no, totally. But what I'm saying is it is on that sci-fi spectrum closer to hard sci-fi than, than soft then, sci-fi. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you do have, like... I'll give, the, you, I'll give you that yeah, it's not science fantasy. You, rats. you do you have, like, the radiation ghosts and, and the aliens from Fallout 2 that they never explain what they are in Fallout 2. Yeah, but then they <laughs> come back in 3 from Mothership Zeta. And they're like, oh, yeah, they're actually aliens. And you're like... Are you are you really serious? Yeah. <sighs> Which breaks a little bit of internal consistency because then it means that the break between their reality and our reality is actually further back in the time. Yeah, and sca- eh, whatever. Yeah, yeah, and not to not hand, to split hand too, wavy them. Yeah, not not to split too many hairs, but that is a different set of writers once they took over the property. Oh, it's well over a decade later. I think it's two decades later, almost. Or no, no, no! It is a decade later. It is a decade later. Fallout, Jeez, Fallout Three. I was Fallout Three came out in like twelve two... years ago. Yeah, I, I got it for my sixteenth birthday. <sighs> New Vegas came out in uh, twenty ten, right? Twenty ten. Or... Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Where's Nate when we could ask him this question and then tell him to go back to Utah? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, one thing I want to talk about. It's not 
I feel like we haven't played in like many settings and like we haven't really like I haven't experienced many like stories or anything like this but I know of several how do you feel about settings that present as fantasy but at some point the reveal is it was sci-fi the whole time oh you mean like all the all the 90s computer games that we grew up with uh, uh, oh well, I mean, so like uh, Might and Magic or, yeah, or yeah. stuff like that where you're like, oh yeah, this is totally, you know, elves and dwarves and gnomes and I've got a sword and whatever. And, and then you then, find a 3D printer that makes guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you find out that the king has a like a surface-to-air missile launcher, like literally. And you're like, what is this? <laughs> um, or let me think of a, of a better so example. So this is... A- this is not really this is a spirit of the question not letter of the question here but uh assassin's creed oh Oh, yeah yeah uh well that that when you first walk into it it's sci-fi oh yeah no you walk into it you know that it's sci-fi on the cover that's why i'm saying to the no no no, not even on the cover just like when you first start up the game no that's what i mean if you had only watched like an e3 demo or something Mm -hmm. like the the, demo and like the trailer yeah and there's like the sci-fi part there's a barely hint there's barely a hint in the first trailer yeah yeah you you thought it was a a historical game and then it turns out it's actually a a science fantasy game (laughs) yeah oh dude you're you're some you're some assassin you're some ninja dude in Europe killing angloids and then oh no you're just some dude who's in a MRI machine that reads your past uh, so but it runs it. off of like a 1980s magic yeah magic uh. <laughs> but like so it's a concept that 40k shares with it and it's genetic memory um, it's a theory that exists like, oh, how is it that birds know uh, where to fly south for the winter and blah, blah, blah. There must be something encoded in the DNA which that lets you know. If I remember correctly, that's a thing, but it's not a thing to the point that they cover it in it, the game. Exactly. But in like 40K, we have space marines and Kroot, you know, one of the alien races that can eat you. And then gain your memories from your flesh, right? And then more so if they eat your brain. And in Assassin's Creed, it's like they, they're they able to go into your DNA and then find your memory, like, genetic memories. And I think, it, like, part of the implication there is that um, it's, it's damn near up until the... Uh, the uh, point in in coitus where it ends. I, I, I don't know if if you've played it. Like there, there's a point where like you you play Alice, um, not Alistar. Oh my God, Ezio or Altair? Altair. Thank you. You play Altair up until the point where like he climbs up onto a uh, like a tower and he meets with with this woman, and then. That's Assassin's Creed 2. Or that's yeah, one of those with, Assassin's with Creed 2s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And you, no, no, no. But Ezio's watching a, a, a memory of Altair. Right? Oh, wait. Is and, that how it worked out? Yeah, that's how it worked out. Okay, I was like, yeah, hey, yeah. wait. Why am I not following so him anymore? So we get anymore? to see like Altair as a crusty old man, right? Um, You... In the third you Assassin's Creed 2? I... 
Assassin's Creed 2 is where is where this event happens that he's talking about. Mm. Yeah. But it's like I know we get to see Ezio be born, but I It's not yeah, you see Ezio be born, but like there is some point where they follow along and it's up until the point that Altair hits it and quits it. And then it, it it it's like from the perspective of the woman at that point. Like uh, yeah. like like when he's watching. It's like he's not like Altair runs away and he can't see anything anymore, which is kind of interesting. It's like, oh, like, okay, your genetic memory goes up into like it makes sense, right? Yeah, you know, it makes sense. Like you're you're it's not gonna gross. think about you're not gonna be able to pull your blood out and then go and watch what your dad did last Saturday, right? You're twenty whatever years old. Right. <laughs> Sat at home and watched videos on YouTube about trains. I I don't need to like <laughs> That's what he did last Saturday. <laughs> He's retired. Yeah. Alright. This spawned from like the conversation about like secret sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean Assassin's Creed's not like secretly sci-fi. It's straight up. It tells it's, you it's sci-fi. Like I was, it, it it's was sci-fi se- in it's secret. historical fiction's clothing. It's secret until you put the disc in, right? Yeah. But yeah. if you had been following it prior to that, it wasn't like it was. It wasn't advertised as a sci-fi game or a game from my childhood that I'm going back and replaying right now. Uh, is secret sci-fi? It's Tales of Symphonia. That game is secret sci-fi. I mean, it's super sci fantasy but throughout the first half of the game you're like okay this is all like medieval ish like early renaissance ish uh is the the time period that everything looks like it's taking place in until you get about halfway through the game and the big reveals made and it's like oh yeah so it, science exists and you're just like wait what and then yeah you teleport to another world and it's like okay so wait what's going on <laughs> So I think another good example is just Warcraft, right? Look at the Draenei. Oh, right. I have a weird relationship with Warcraft. Uh, like, not for any reasons of the game's fault, but like learning... I thought we told you to stay off those websites. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Kyle. Uh, no, it was... Uh, everything I know is secondhand knowledge. Like, I played... I used cheat codes to play through Warcraft 3 and got halfway through Frozen Throne before, I don't know, something kept me from playing it and I never picked it back up. Mm. But like, so, but I learned almost nothing. It was like, oh man, Thrall's cool. Uh, Arthas is kind of a, kind of a prick. Uh, that's pretty much all I got out of it. Uh, and then years later, I hang out with a group of friends and they're the biggest Warcraft nerds I've ever met. And I'm learning all this stuff, and I was like, wait, you mean to tell me that, like, you mean to tell me that orcs were actually interdimensional raiders from another planet that came to attack Earth, and also dwarves and gnomes were the first life forms on this planet, but they were robots? And then they got a virus that turned them fleshy. This game's weird. It's weird. Warcraft Deep Lore. Yeah, Warcraft Deep Lore, but... I was trying to use the drain eye as an example because, like, you go and oh, you're space and, aliens. Yeah, they're, yeah aliens. they're literal space aliens. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, what? In the hell? Just like the demons and the orcs and the, the dorks. Yeah, uh, this is my favorite band. 
Um, hey man, even Rube. What's your favorite band was Necrogoblicon. <laughs> That's you. <laughs> Plug for Necrogoblicon. Yeah, Glory Hammer. <sighs> mm. Glory Hal. Almost called it Glory Halberd. Show me the way. <laughs> Glory Halberd? It's the spinoff band. <laughs> Just the pull uh, arms from the group. <laughs> so, hold on. Glory Hammer. First album? <laughs> fantasy. Just, just fantasy. That's all it is. It's just plain fantasy. Fantasy, and then the second album evolves into... It evolves into sci-fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I was going to make you know another... So, you can even argue, like, if we're just talking about... Ooh, science fantasy settings, right? Uh, Remnant, so like Ruby, absolutely science fantasy. Oh yeah, not secret sci-fi. No, it's not secret. Yeah, Yeah. fair. Yeah, but like uh, we we can talk about Ruby for for you can make your point on that. No, No, I I mean it was just another setting that that came to mind, right? Because you you're in season two. And there's literal cars and mecha and mecha robots, right? Mm. But then they go through the countryside and you hover know, for motorcycles. The, yeah, and hover motorcycles in volume eight. But you go through the countryside in four and five and six, I guess, right? And you don't really see that level of technology again, except for the train. Like people are back to using wooden carts and yeah. and stuff. If they but don't still live got dudes in the like cities, transforming gun weapons. Oh, yeah. absolutely. But yeah, those are, are professional huntsmen, like like who came from the cities. And one of the characters has a staff weapons. that turns into gunchucks. Come on now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So on, on the topic of like Ruby and science fantasy, I'd like to make a, a I'd like to make it like a point of like I don't know if it's like a complaint or what I would call it, but it's like oh yeah, we have these characters with all these wild and like powerful fantastical abilities. Like oh, this person can uh, duplicate themselves, and this person gets uh, what's the angst thing? She like when she takes more damage, she, she gets stronger. Do, yeah, she gets stronger. Uh, this person soaks up lightning and adds it into her attack. And then all of a sudden it's like magic is real and everyone and then these off-brand X-Men all of a sudden go, no way, magic's not real, says the girl who can create ice clones of herself. Just <laughs> with her shadow clone jutsu. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh like so some of that has to do with how science fantasy and science fiction Right, will usually try and remain internally consistent, right? Ruby does that in the sense that people have semblances, and semblances are tied to your aura, which is a manifestation of your soul. Blah blah blah. People understand what auras and what semblances are. The it's moment that old adage. Mm-hmm. you're about to get into that old adage of anything that's that's significantly advanced. Uh, no longer appears as technology and starts appearing as magic. Oh, no. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. That's the one. Right. Right. But they never so, make, like, a point to say that, like, uh, oh, semblances are a byproduct of, I don't know, nanobots or eugenics or something. All of a sudden, this magic that I guess doesn't work alongside semblances gets involved. Then, and it doesn't make sense to anybody. Yeah. Meanwhile, me, the Watcher, are, is Jean Grey questioning... <laughs> <laughs> yeah! <laughs> well, I, yeah, but I mean, 
for those, I can understand why those characters might be a little off put, right? They, uh, they have something that is consistent to their reality and then they're presented with something that is not right now for us who do not have auras, who do not have semblances, who do not have for, magic. For the people they who get to are watch both everything. the same thing, right? And we go, why does this bother you, right? Yeah. I think... Because t- the suspension of disbelief is lost on that disconnect. Right. And it... I mean, given Ruby's not a perfect medium to begin with, but... it. It speaks volumes to the writer, the narrator, the game master, the who ha, who the director, whoever it whoever it may be. It if you can, as the the person conveying the story to whoever's consuming the medium. If we're talking about tabletop games, the game master. Mm-hmm. If you can sit there and go through. Five ten sessions, or in the case of a TV series, you know, five ten episodes, without having once your audience, or in the case of the tabletop, your players, stop and say, "Now wait a minute, that doesn't make sense because this, this, and this." If you can do that, you've successfully caused your players, your audience, to suspend disbelief, which that's the whole purpose of the escapism. That's the whole purpose of of that as a medium is to forget about reality and you have fun in the moment with your friends stay immersed yeah yeah you stay immersed you stay in the story raymond i see you're uh getting a second drink want to introduce it to us yeah so this is a rogue dead guy ale uh i it's kind of a classic beer and uh i i really like some of the nerdy implications of it just because uh, Dead Guy is the name of a rogue deck. A like Magic a, a, the Gathering deck. Yeah, a Magic the Gathering uh, deck archetype. Right? Yeah, rogue decks in Magic the Gathering were, were decks that were not meta. They were not the, the decks that were the norm that you would see. So if you ran into a rogue deck, it was a weird deck, usually. Yeah. It was a deck that didn't follow the rules, except for the rules established by Magic the Gathering. And before someone made that deck, the the deck archetype used to be called junk, because the deck was just a bunch of junk thrown into one deck. (laughs) And then the dude started calling it Dead Guy. Named after the beer. Yeah, named after the beer. Uh, Have you had it before? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I wouldn't say it's a staple in this house. But we have we we pick it up every so often. More of like a thumbtack. Yeah. What are you drinking now? Oh, I uh, switched over to Cali Creamin Orange Cre- or uh, Vanilla Cream Ale. It's the Orange Creamsicle one. It's uh, it tastes like an orange creamsicle. It doesn't taste much at all like beer. It's a dessert in a can. <laughs> I see you wince over there. I like. I'm not a beer aficionado, so like I hear, oh, it does, it barely tastes like beer, and I've had the beers that you like, and I'm just thinking, man, if I have that, I'm gonna have a wildly differing opinion. <laughs> <laughs> differing, wrong, it, it all it all comes out in the wash. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
So, so you, oh, did you have something to say? Oh no, no, I was going to ask where where were we? Uh, what's your next question for us? Oh, you bring you bring up uh, Magic the. This is this is probably a question that doesn't have long a lot of longevity. Is there a sci-fi counterpart to Magic the Gathering? Like, Not that I know of. I actually looked this up beforehand. There's not a single uh, counterpart to Magic the Gathering on, in terms of scale. Yeah. Right? I mean, other... like I, You can make arguments for like, Yu-Gi-Oh! Well, you can make arguments for... Maybe, maybe, maybe even, not in like, a uh, business sense, but is there like well, Magic the Gathering? Shops but... run on selling Magic products so, and the secondary market. So, in answer to that question, in one word... Excuse me, in one word? No. There is no sci-fi counterpart to Magic the Gathering. In a playing card game standpoint, there is no sci-fi counterpart. In there are there sci-fi card games? Card games? A few. A few. Not a lot. But they exist. I'm remembering uh back when I was like 13 or something I was talking with one of my buddies and he had like the we even came across them like a few years ago when we were just like cleaning out his like computer we were just like uh-huh. okay, let's look through these like old files from like 2009 or something and uh, he had like a he had documents for a sci-fi magic I <laughs> I, I don't want to punch down too much he's not here to defend himself so like but it was like it was, it, it was like, you read it, it's like, oh my god, we were 13 when we saw this. <laughs> Look, we right. thought this was cool, no! You write anything when you're 13, and then you come up across it at a later date, you you're going to have it. one of two reactions. You're going to have kill it with fire, or show all my friends how much of a nerd I used to be, and how far I've come. Uh, yeah, look at this, look how much of a nerd I used to be. Now check out how much further down that path I've gone! <laughs> no, talking about that though... I'm uh, a grand wizard! Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, Phrasing, phrasing! <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> please, please. Archmage. Archmage. <laughs> I already get a doctorate so that you can go... <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous PhD. <laughs> <laughs> no, but going back to uh, check out how much of a nerd I, I was clean. So I was cleaning out. I was helping my brother clean out uh, our garage, and I came across like, like, I'm I'm pretty sure all the sketchbooks I used to have, like mm-hmm. gr- growing up from like uh, middle, like some point in middle school mm-hmm. up until I put these uh, sketchbooks away, but in like the mid 2010s or something, and yeah, I saw some stuff. Of, I got those reactions. I was like, oh man, this stuff's cool. Oh man, this stuff's going in the trash. <laughs> like, um, if, if I got my stuff from like early middle school, like uh, like first second, like I'm sure I'd find like stuff where I'd be like, oh man, I remember making this. Throw it, throws it away. Like, re- remember yeah, it fondly. School, a lot of my middle school uh, notebooks would just have lists of cards that I wanted. Mm. <laughs> oh, God. I, I remember I remember back in, like, early middle school, like, first grade or something, 
Like I tried like, oh, I want to make a card game. So I take these blank pieces of paper and I draw like versions of like cartoon characters and things that I liked, but they were eggs. Mm-hmm. I have no idea where I was going with them, but I just drew like, like Ed and Eddie, but they were all eggs. Oh, Goku from Dragon Ball Z, but he was an egg. Okay. Arnold from Terminators 1 or 2, but an egg. Thank God, I thought when he said Arnold, but as an egg, like, I was imagining football head. <laughs> oh, how would that work out as an egg? I, I don't want to think about turn that. It over on Speaking its side. Of sci-fi. <laughs> Speaking of sci-fi, Terminator's pretty good sci-fi. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's completely internally consistent, too. I think it's internally consistent up until, like, Terminator 4. Which is... Which, uh, I didn't realize that Terminator 3 existed, but it exists, apparently. So, listen, listen, the only Terminator movies that we talk about are 1 and 2. Unless we want to make fun of something. Oh, yeah, no, totally. But... So, I just want to point out, like, so, like, we can even look at that bookshelf of, of RPG stuff and... And the top shelf, which is much more like just random paraphernalia, right? So, Gears of War. There you Where go. is it on the on the science fantasy to science fiction scale? It's a little further on science fantasy, if I'm. I feel like it would, that would be like kind of center-ish. It's center-ish. So, I agree with you, right? Or, eh, I I'm feeling like it's on that science fiction scale, but it has that tipping point, right? Because mm-hmm. you have the, the emulsion. Okay, like, like they have magic healing abilities. Yeah, yeah, the, right. But that that is internally consistent with itself. Yeah, and that a lot of that stuff gets explained away by the emulsion and how emulsion mutates emulsion being people the, and the, animals. What it gets back to Ezo in yeah, yeah, I was about to in say Mass that. Effect, right? Okay, so on the Mass Effect Gears of War scale. Right for sci-fi versus sci-fantasy. Right now, let's look over at the next one. We have Halo. Where does that fit? Halo's a lot further down the hard side, right? Yeah. Or further towards the hard side, right? Yeah, that's because I don't think there's. I don't even think there's. I don't think there's like anything objectively magical. No, it just has. It has technology that is just... Far beyond our comprehension. But it's still, like, acknowledged as technology. And, I mean, even in, like, like Reach, when they put the... When they put the... uh, Slipspace drive. Slipspace drive on the... On the uh, ship, you... The Long Night of Solace. Such a good ship name. But even when they put the... Covenant ship names are amazing. Even when they put the Slipspace drive on the Long Night of Solace... That sentence is way cooler than it needs to be. Yeah. Um, even when they put the slip space drive on that shit, like they're acknowledging what they're doing. They're 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 turning the ship into a near infinite mass kinetic energy weapon. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they don't go out and say it, but they expect that you, as the audience, understands enough about E equals M C squared that that's what you're doing. You're creating what would effectively be a relativistic weapon. So I don't know if it's like the same premise, but I like to point out that I'm really upset that the coolest moment in Star Wars belongs to what is widely regarded as the worst Star Wars movie. Oh man, we only talk about that that once <laughs> that like 
one 10 second segment of that sequence like the worst character in the worst Star Wars movie the, an argument can be made for worst character one of the worst characters in Star Wars in the worst Star Wars movie does one of the coolest things that ever happens in Star Wars like, yeah just the Holdo maneuver oh, they, and they call it the Holdo maneuver no, I, I, that's what the internet calls it I, I think they call it that in, in uh, Rise of Skywalker Oh, like uh, Charlie from Lost says. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, I think he name drops the Holdo maneuver. <laughs> okay, just just because I'm staring at it. Just, again, right? We're, we're in my house. I just have way too much like. RPG and just nerd stuff like it's decoration at this point, right? Mm-hmm. All right, so that adventure right there uh, for Five E, the dungeon of wickedness, Big Rick Energy. Where's that fall on the science fiction versus science fantasy scale? This is not a question I wanted to answer, but it's science fantasy. It is straight yeah, up the, science fantasy. The fan. lost dungeon of wickedness, big Rick energy. It, the five E Rick and Morty crossover event. It's, I'm, it's I'm straight up seething right now. <laughs> I'm seething. Ah, oh, how dare you, Raven? <laughs> First, I thought you were laughing at my Charlie from Lost thing. No, it, it was. No, 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 I am, I am. Like, you know I mean, I'm laughing at the at the Charlie from Lost thing. Uh, I'm laughing at your Garfield neon Genesis Evangelion t-shirt. I'm laughing at your haircut. Like, it's just... Have, have, either, of you, <laughs> have either of you watched Firefly? I have a feeling Ray's watched it. Yeah, the, the brown shirts and, and, and whatnot. So... The reason I bring up Firefly is it's hard it's hard sci-fi, but it's what you would determine as the sci-fi is a backdrop to tell a story. The setting is a backdrop to tell the story in that case, where it's like a lot of people will will get hung up on the system that you're dealing with. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I I get really hung up on sci-fi and a lot of times I can't divorce my my love of a setting away from that hang up on sci-fi but in the case of firefly the sci-fi is literally just a backdrop to the setting Mm -hmm. and would you say that star wars is the same where the the sci-fi is mostly a backdrop to the setting the sci-fi is not really the focus the focus is the story uh, for the Star Wars movies, absolutely. Yeah. You, you look like you're begrudgingly admitting like, that I mean, like, I, Do I, you really care about like, the, I, I, the I, I want to make an argument for like one of the other trilogies. It's absolutely true for the original trilogy. I want there to be an argument for the other trilogies, but I can't think of any. So, I, four, so four through six, absolutely. sci-fantasy all the way. It, one the through, journey. One through three is quite a lot harder than, than four through six. But I think that has to do with like retroactively wanting to explain. That's true. Things for... That's true. And I'm not even talking like metachlorines and I'm talking stuff. Yeah, yeah, midichlorines. I'm, I'm actually talking like 
they land on Tatooine. Why do they land on Tatooine? Because their their hyperdrive is damaged. So they need a new hyperdrive. So they start like explaining we need this model of hyperdrive. And like they start they start touching on the nuts and bolts of the of the setting there without actually like delving too deep into it. And it existed for 20 or 30 years at that point, right? Exactly. They had so, they had all this they could just pick from so the bits that the, they wanted to keep at that point. Yeah, and I think the interest at, at that point, like when something has matured that much, people want to know the nuts and bolts. That's true. Right? Not not everybody, but there's people that well, want the nuts and the bolts and in, in the case of these nuts. <laughs> in the case of Star Wars, and I mean a lot of people would nuts hate me for saying this. Uh Star Wars wasn't as successful as a franchise as people think until the prequels came out. Mm-hmm. It, I trust me when I say this. Like you can, you can look up the the I, sales. Kyle, I, I trust your opinion on things. I'm gonna, res, I'm gonna reserve criticism on this. Like, you, this is probably true, but I'm a little skeptical. Oh no, no, no! I'm not saying it was unsuccessful. I. That is not what I am saying. What I am saying is it is not nearly as successful as people like to think. I thought it was like super successful because of like something something George Lucas gets ex- like all the 100% rights uh, something something toy sales. The toy sales were really high. The box office success... Oh, we're just talking about... The box the, office okay. success and the movie sales for, for the original trilogy weren't that great until the prequel trilogy was announced. Okay, okay. I, I can dig it. So, um... That might actually have something to do with the fact that that the first Star Wars movie, uh, A New Hope, came out, if I remember correctly, right about the same time VHS came out, so it didn't actually get that wide of a release in comparison to a lot of other movies that came out as little as ten years later. But... It's, I I would highly recommend people who are listening to this look it up. It's uh, yeah yeah something to look into. Yeah, something to look into. All right, final question before we close out for the night: Where does Venture Bros fit? Ooh, between two of the settings we've discussed so far. Oh, it's sci fantasy in the best way possible. But between like. Between which so, like, two between things? all of the settings that we've talked about, so it is going to be more sci fantasy than Mass Effect. Than Mass Effect, it's going to be more sci fantasy than Halo. It's going to be more sci fantasy than, than Gears of War. Than... It's not going to be as sci fantasy as, as Spelljammer as Star, Star Wars. What? There's a literal wizard. <laughs> Necromancer. <laughs> it, okay, hold up. I hold had up. Taco Bell for lunch. Okay, he makes Dr. that correction Dr. multiple times. Doctor Orpheus <laughs> specifies that he that he doesn't necessarily qualify as a necromancer. He just uses the title because it's more marketable than wizard or warlock. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> I believe he corrects people when they call him magician or sorcerer. Right, though. but he makes that distinct. He, 
When talking to Gary about reviving 24... Oh, yeah, you're right. You're yeah. right. You're right. He doesn't raise people from the dead. <laughs> yeah, there's ghosts. There's, like, you know, like, a I crystal could... ball is, like, a legit thing. Reading the tarot is, I like, a legit thing. astral project myself there. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So... More so, fantasy than Gears, less fantasy than Spelljammer. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, less fantasy than Eberron. Like, I'm trying to think where to fit it in. It's it's somewhere on the level of fantasy of 40k. No, it has no, less fantasy. No, like yeah, they have science. They have science fiction elements and magical fantasy elements, but nowhere to the scale that is 40k. <laughs> Yeah, yeah like it's I'd argue even that, like having that said that is there less fantasy in Venture Bros than the than Rick and Morty I haven't even I got I got through the first bit in Rick and Morty and then he got on last night I literally just started watching that this weekend Shame Rick and Morty I I didn't start just start watching it. No, you no, jumped no, no, no. on to... You just oh. got on Discord. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, right. So, I feel Adventure Bros, like, deals more in fantasy than Rick and Morty does. Like, D&D campaign notwithstanding. Right. Uh, or or the D or the Rick and Morty like, D&D comic series. Right. Notwithstanding. So, like, episodes where it's like, oh, hey, we found a dragon or stuff like there's, that. There's two fantasy episodes, basically. Right. But they don't have, like... Standing characters who exist in a world of magic. Okay, I I got a question for uh, you, Andrew. You asked us to put it on the scale, so I'm trying to put it on the scale with all the settings that we mentioned. So more fantasy than I'd say more fantasy than Rick and Morty. Okay, you were gonna say something, Kyle. Where is WWE on the scale? <laughs> uh, you don't have to answer that question. I, I so until next time on this on Beer Barians. Technically speaking, <laughs> science fantasy since demons and undead immortals are canon in the WWE universe. Also, money seems to be a superpower in it. Yeah. Well, Batman's proved that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right? He has a yeah. bat credit card. Not uh what's not Johnny Quest. Who's the who's that other one where it's like some rich kid and he goes on adventures? Richie Rich? Richie Rich! <laughs> right? Money is a... Money is a superpower. Uh, Tony Stark? <laughs> yeah, Tony Stark! Oh, we can talk about superheroes in relation to stuff next time. But until then... The... I'd say that the answer is... More fantasy than Rick and Morty, and then less fantasy than whatever followed up. Because I don't think there's, like, something that's, like, more reserved than... Rick and Morty that we talked about yeah. before. But, yeah, yeah. Anyway, thank you for listening. Have a great day. Bye-bye now. <laughs>